Good morning. I am Matt Crosser. I'm on staff here, and I love that I get to be with you guys today to talk about Jonah. Um, before I do that, though, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, maybe a not-so-obvious thing. I was not always the pillar of, of example and faith that's before you now. Um, in fact, my mom would tell the teachers in Sunday school and at church, you don't know the same Matt that I know. And I'm probably, I'm guessing there's some parents here that feel the same way. During the week, you know, the, there's the disobedience and the constant guidance and corrections and, and all that that takes place as parents. But uh, on Sundays, they're just perfect little angels. And so... Um, I'll tell you about one of those things uh, that I did. Um, I don't know. I'm guessing there's a few people that, that watched either reruns or maybe a few of you saw the first one of Andy Griffith's show, uh, one of my favorite all-time shows. Um, one of the episodes forever emblazoned in my memory when Opie is running away. Um, Andy, always the or at least mostly the patient father, at least in the black and white episodes. When you got into the color episodes, I don't know if you noticed the difference. He got a little less patient. But anyway, um, early on, for sure, when Opie was little, very patient, always waiting to have the exact right thing to say. And he didn't come in and talk Opie out of running away. He, he started helping him make sandwiches for the trip. He started counting up and saying, well, you know, but what are you going to do when you're, you're over here and it's the next day? You're going to need something to eat. And Opie says, well, yeah, Pa, I didn't think about that. And so Andy said, well, we better make another sandwich. And so they keep making a few sandwiches and putting it in a bag. Also, Opie can run away officially. Um, and so I, I say that because I tried to run away. Um, and and I, I think in the background, I remember thinking, maybe my parents will help me make sandwiches. But um, they didn't. Um, and uh, they were angry at me for something I'd done. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember taking off out of the house. And I was probably seven or eight. Ran down the street until they couldn't see me. And then I waited and snuck back into the backyard. Like made my way back down the neighborhood and snuck back in the backyard. And hid in a spot in the backyard where I knew they wouldn't look for me. And there I stayed for several hours. And... Uh, when I would get in trouble sometimes as a kid, I would often run from punishment. And uh, my parents had my two brothers before me, 10 and 12 years older. And so I was a little bit later for them. And so as, as a little kid, bursts of energy, I was a little bit faster than what they at least wanted to be. And so I would take off when, when it sounded like they were going to punish me. And I would come back and I would check to see if they're still upset. And then I would take off again if they were still upset. Real bad, I'm telling you, right up front, real bad. Um, and so this one time I sat up there for hours and I finally came back in. And, uh, and I remember not wanting to run away anymore after I came back in <clears throat> because I got the deserved punishment. Um, so we started in Jonah last week, uh, but our students have had a couple of opportunities this year to be in Jonah. We, we looked at Jonah as our Devo for camp and uh, used it to kind of walk us through a week of camp. 
And then also, for the last uh, four or five weeks in our Bible class at 9 o'clock, we've been looking again at Jonah. We've been kind of camping out in Jonah this year. And if you've never done that with a book or chapter or passage or story, I want to encourage you to try that sometime. You know, I think often we get this idea that we've got to go chapter to chapter. Every day we've got to read a chapter or whatever the plan is you've got, kind of with this, this onslaught of taking in God's Word, when often... We don't take the time to meditate on God's word and think about it and chew on it. And and again, today, what is is God telling me in this chapter, in this verse? And so they've got an opportunity to do that. I just want to encourage you guys to, to find books of the Bible that you can go back on and spend a month looking at the same chapter. Or come back two or three times in the same year. Instead of doing the plan, read read the Bible in one year, which is great. Maybe taking four or five books and just reading those over and over to just kind of gnaw, to to get as much as you can out of it. Um, So Jonah, we started last week in here, and God had commanded, not suggested, Jonah to go tell the Ninevites to repent. The famously wicked Ninevites. But the problem, as we saw last week, Jonah despised the Ninevites. I think it's important for us to, to see a couple things before we dive into today, and that is that we see what's God's heart throughout all this, because God's heart doesn't change, and also to, to see kind of what was the initial call of God and how did Jonah respond. And so um, God's heart, um, he, he lays it out in chapter 411. So if you've already read the book, you've seen it. We talked about this verse last week, but echoing it again, God says to Jonah, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God cared for the people and his creation in that place. So, looking at the initial call, God's call was, in the first verse of the first chapter, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Um, So I think sometimes we don't really know exactly where this is, and so let's go ahead and pull up a map. We're going to see exactly where this is, okay? Um, Nineveh is way over there on the far, in the middle of Assyria, uh, Joppa is right there on the edge, right above Egypt, um, and he uh, went to Joppa, got on a boat, and went where? All the way over to what we know is now as Gibraltar area. That is a difference of about 2,700 miles. That's a long way. And just so we can, can understand it better, that's the distance between New York and L.A., That's how far Jonah went to escape God's call. And I think it's important for us to see that and kind of take that in because this wasn't just Jonah saying no and then he goes over to another city. Jonah went to the farthest reaches of the world that he knew. He thought he could escape God's command. But he can't. When we run from God... We choose a harder path than what God had asked us to do. 
What does it look like when somebody runs from God? Well, I grew up in the church, but I didn't want to make the decision that I knew I should make for a while. I grew up in the church, and there was a certain point at which I was in that bubble of, he should have already made a decision to follow Christ at this point. And so the the powers at that time, the children's director and the youth minister and my parents were all like, well, we've got a class. We'll have him go to this class on how to become a Christian. Uh, Over the years, I think I took about four of those classes because I kept resisting. And, And I felt it. You know, there was a certain point when you're really little and you, you really don't know. You really don't understand what you're deciding. And, and in the church and, and in Christianity, it is a personal choice to follow Christ and to accept that responsibility. But it was pretty early on that I knew what the right thing to do was, and I just kept choosing not to do it. And, and I've told this to our students before, but uh, I remember... Um, this was when I was in uh, eighth grade, so top of middle school. And every week, the youth would sit up front and in our church as well. And, and I would go to the back and I would, after it was over, and I'd leave. And, and I would see my mom, who had, who had obviously heard something that the minister had said and, and was tearing up and, and was choked up over something that was said and she was thinking about it, or at least that's what I thought. As I would come to find out, Every week that I didn't go up front and choose to follow Christ, she would weep for my soul. And I remember at first finding out and going, oh, I would feel so bad. And then it got to be, I'm just not even going to go talk to my mom because I can see she's crying. And I'm going to go over here and talk to somebody else. I'm going to avoid the situation. Um, And I remember I was in my final How to Become a Christian class. Um, that started on that Sunday morning. It was going to go on for four other weeks. And I remember being in that class, and I was in eighth grade, and everybody else was in fifth and sixth grade. And I had been pulled out of my regular class to come to this younger class. And I remember talking to some people in my family and saying, I don't want to go back in there with the little kids anymore. And, uh, and I wanted to go back. In fact, I think they were all fifth grade. I, I didn't want to go back in there. I wanted to go back with my class. And, and my family encouraged me, you know, you don't have to wait till Sunday to decide to become a Christian. You don't have to go up front. You can do it now. And it was nerve-wracking and caused me a little anxiety. But I was like, yeah, I, I know I've needed to. I want to do that. And so we called the youth minister, and we met up on a Monday afternoon or Monday evening, came up, and I was baptized, became a Christian. Now, I didn't realize after it was over, he was going to say, okay, now next Sunday we need you to come forward so we can announce you to everybody. But at that point, it was kind of like I, I was past. I was past the fear. I was past the whatever. But I ran from God for a while. Okay, here, I want you to do something. Uh, hopefully you have one of the sermon pages in the bulletin or you have a scratch piece of paper or there's a piece of paper in front of you. I want you to take something out and get a pen, a writing utensil, And you may have to share with somebody next to you if they don't have one. But it's important that you do this. We're going to work through an exercise together. Uh, We were created to live in community. And and so we're going to do something as a community today. The first thing I want you to do, um, because we we are taught as Christians to come prepared for worship, to come prepared for Sunday. 
So what I want to ask you to do is I want you to jot down something that you feel like you've been running from God about. Um, just take a moment. If you're not for sure, you can pray about it. Um, I, just, just because I know how God works and I know he's constantly challenging us and constantly encouraging us to take the next step in our faith and to grow our faith, I would imagine that most everybody in here is, is avoiding or running from God to some level in something. And so just think about that for a second, and I want you to jot that down. I want you to spend some time. I want you to pray about it and spend just a moment writing that down. So go ahead and do that now. Because we live in a community, if you've got that written down, um, I would ask that uh, if, you're, if you're able to do this, if you're up for doing this, share this with somebody that's next to you. Um, if this is something that feels really private and you're not prepared to do, I just want you to bow your head and pray to God. And at the very least, share it with him. I know this is the kind of thing that gives inter, uh, introverts hives, but um, that's, we were created to live in community. And I think often we run from community, which is a sense running from God for what he's called for us. And so just take a moment to do that, and, uh, and we'll wait. Either pray or share it with somebody that's next to you. God, I would just ask that you keep that in mind as we continue to look at your word and look at your commands so that we can hear more from you what it is that you've called us to do that we might be avoiding or um, resisting or flat out running from. God, I just pray that as we continue to look at your word and, and these thoughts that come from your word, that you would challenge us and convict us and help us to share with one another so that we can proceed down this path of faith. In the name of Christ, we pray. Okay, so where did we leave off last week? The last verse of the last chapter in Jonah, and if you, you weren't already in Jonah, we've said several times we're in Jonah, so you can go and get to Jonah. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, but I want to start off with the last verse of the last chapter that says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here he is. He, he went through all this, and now here he is. He's thrown overboard, and he's swallowed up. Have you ever felt swallowed up? Have you ever felt like everything around you is crashing down? Um, I know that I have. I know that nine years ago, after we found out about my brother's accident, it felt like everything was unstable, except for one thing. And that was God. And I remember for about three and a half months, we would spend every day of the week at the hospital with Kevin as it was in the early stages and what was going on. And on Sunday, we would come here 
And at that point, our family sat right back there on the back right. And I remember in worship, we would weep and cry out to our king because that was the only thing we knew to do. We cried out in our distress. We cried out in our pain. We were in a situation that we didn't request. Jonah didn't request this situation either. Yeah, Jonah ended up in the belly of the fish because of his sin, of his direct disobedience. But before that, he didn't request the task to go to Nineveh. This was something given to him. And I think a lot of times the things in our life, those aren't things that we request either. Now, maybe you could argue that as Christians, we've requested for God to hone us and sharpen us. But we didn't write down, here's what I want to happen to myself or my family or my loved ones or my friends. We didn't request those things to happen. And yet here we are in the middle of our depths and despair. Jonah had made some of the worst decisions of his life. When confronted with following God's commands, he ran away to the farthest place he could think of to go. Because of Jonah's actions, God sent a storm to scare even the most professional sailors Uh, We assume they're some of the most professional because they were going to some of the farthest places known to man, and yet they were terrified. And eventually they threw him overboard. Now he's sunk to the depths of the sea, and he's swallowed by a huge underwater creature. We don't know exactly what it is. You know, forever, when I was a kid, it was called the Jonah and the whale story. And as people began to look at the text and see, well, there's actually another word for whale, Uh, this word means huge fish creature. And so we don't know exactly what it was. Um, But uh, it was something that was large enough to swallow him whole. But as he's thrown overboard, I want you to imagine for a second, what is Jonah thinking? Jonah is not thinking, hey, I'm about to get rescued by a huge fish that's going to swallow me. He's out in the middle of nowhere, hey, I'm going to expect to have a raft, a life raft brought by God to save me. He wasn't thinking those thoughts. He was thinking, I've messed up, and now I deserve to die. I know that sometimes in some of our darkest moments, some of us would admit to that. We've thought, I've really messed up, and I... I don't deserve to be here. I certainly don't deserve God's forgiveness. I certainly don't deserve his mercy. When the currents of life batter against you, when you feel swallowed up, you don't get the promotion, you flunk a test, you lose your job, when your relationships go sour, your spouse leaves you, your health leaves you, a family member dies, a close friend moves away, you experience loss, what do you do? Do you gripe and complain? Do you long for some faulty, earthly version of comfort? Is your comfort filled in all the ways that we fill our comfort with food and TV and friendships that don't model God? Or do you fall to your knees and you cry out 
in your desperation, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your loss? Do you fall to your knees and cry out to your king, I trust you. I will not falter in my faith. I will not let my faith be shaken. I will follow you no matter what. Because that's what we're called to do. I think the battle for us is that in life, in life we think that life is about the two-car garage and the white picket fence and the really nice job that allows us to, to go places and see things and, and to have a comfortability. That is not it. That is not it. That is a lie. The purpose of this life is to recognize who is the true king and to point others to him. That is it. The rest of the stuff is just an avenue for doing that. What does Jonah do? Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Okay, so as we look at these verses, just keep in mind, this is while he's in the fish. He's not rescued at this point. He's been saved by a fish, but to his knowledge, that's it. So keep that, keep that in mind, that framework, as we read on. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. We might say he was just as good as dead when he called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, wait a second. Does, does this mean he thinks that God is going to save him then and he's going to go to Jerusalem and see the holy temple or, or even to the temple in the north where he was from? Some might say that, but I don't, I don't see that there. I don't see that as the temple that he's talking about seeing. I actually see that much like Abraham's faith of knowing that one would come to justify him, speaking of Jesus, that with Jonah, he knows that there is something beyond this life. And that, that Jonah will see his holy temple. He's putting his trust in God. He will see his holy temple. And he will be rescued. But I don't think he's thinking he'd be rescued from this fish. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. I love that phrase because I think that it can fit just about anything that's going on in your life that's ever made you feel like you were swallowed up. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you 
to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So in our modern times, it would be those that cling to everything that's out there that they end up making matter more than God. Maybe that's jobs. Maybe that's sports. Maybe that's sports teams. Maybe that's uh, our relationships. Maybe that's drugs or video games or whatever it is that we put in front of our relationship with God are worthless idols. And we cling to them for that faulty earthly comfort. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He's, he's ready to be saved. And I, I, others may disagree with me. I don't think he's saying I'm going to be saved from the fish. I think he's saying I know who God is and he's the creator of everything and he's going to save me. Somehow, I know he's going to save me. When faced with situations out of our control, our response should be to praise God. Of course, there's times for mourning. Of course, there's times for, there's times for grief or, or that we're, we're trying to figure out the situation with God's help. But all of that should be wrapped in the understanding of who God is. Almighty. Creator, Comforter, Father. I don't know about you, but large bodies of water have always been a scary prospect for me. Unknown. I don't know if it's the dark, cloudy waters that scare me the most, or um, the ones where you can see just about everything. I'm not really for sure which is better. Because I know even when you can see everything, you can't look in all directions at once. For most of our time when we were missionaries in Italy, we lived about 20 minutes from the beach. And uh, there was always stories of, of things that we would hear places. But, but the beach that we went to, basically the most that you could see was, um, was jellyfish and maybe some trash. But there were these stories of, uh, not, a whole, not a lot, Angie's laughing because I'm like dissing on our beach that we loved, but there was a little bit of trash. Um, but there was these stories, 30 minutes south of us, of these 18 to 20 foot long sharks that would be seen off the coast. And, of course, the, the notion is that, well, we won't see those because they won't come up. It's too shallow. But we decided to get a paddle boat that day. And so we go out in the water, and it was myself and my wife, Angie, and uh, our teammate, Heather, and our intern, Jen. And I think I was chosen merely for the purpose of paddling the paddle boat. And um, when we got out there, they wanted to swim in the deep, and, or at least deeper. And uh, I stayed in the boat so that it didn't drift off. And um, we're sitting in there, and off in the distance, I'm kind of seeing these weird things going on in the water. And, and we said something kind of like, I wonder what that is. And, and, and uh, so I think the girls started getting nervous, and they started coming back in, and and I think Heather had gotten in first, and so it was just uh, Angie, Jen, and the boat. And I look over there, and either Heather or I, I can't remember, one of us says, is that a shark? 
and Jen's here, Angie's here, and Angie like becomes like Aqua Girl. <laughs> Swims past Jen, pushes her out of the way, and screams up the ladder into the boat. And then Jen got in, we pulled her in. Um, maybe it wasn't quite that, but I do know she was farther away and she got in first. But we don't know to this day what was over there. We just know there was something choppy in the water. There's something about that water. And, and the, the beach water that was up close was, I said, like the jellyfish. And on clear days, you could see the jellyfish and you knew to, to get away from them. And on some of the days when it wasn't so clear, it was more cloudy, you couldn't tell. And you're like, yesterday, I know there were jellyfish in here. And so I'm just going to step lightly over them. It doesn't matter. It's, it's like a minefield, right? Um. In our life, our future may be cloudy or clear, but our response should be the same, to trust God and praise him at all times. In spite of our disobedience, God pursues us and rescues us. I mentioned earlier that there might have been times in your life where you thought, I'm too bad, I'm not good enough, I can't, I can't deserve his grace, his mercy, his gift, forgiveness, whatever. But let's see what happened with Jonah. The last verse of that chapter, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, Things in fish aren't made to go back, so it was not just open its mouth and Jonah swam out. It had to be expelled. Uh, I can't imagine you'd want to be around Jonah at that point. Probably probably stank. His skin might have been bleached from some of the stomach acids. But this, this thing was seen as a real event, not just for the people that read it then, but also the people of Jesus' time. And we look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. And it says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, we know that the Pharisees and teachers were constantly trying to catch and trick Jesus. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah didn't deserve forgiveness, yet God gave it to him. Jonah didn't deserve to have his punishment taken away, but God did that too. How far does God go to pursue us? Think about it for a minute. He went to the known ends of the earth for Jonah. I mean, if Jonah had went farther, God seemingly would have went farther. But we know that Jonah went as far as the sailors were ready to take him. And God went there. Think about your sins for a minute. Not something we like to do. Not something we like to do in church together because it feels dirty. But I think it's important for us to do that hard work of examining our lives so that we could know what to give over, so that we could know what to stop, and so that we know what we can start. The Apostle Paul spoke about this struggle 
of accepting his grace and mercy. For Romans 7.15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And then later, starting in verse 18, he says, For I had the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does anybody else here with him, with Paul, feel that way, has felt that way? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is the sin living in me. Paul's not condoning a sin-as-you-want gospel, but rather talking about the spiritual battle raging within and the reliance on the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is great news. We don't deserve forgiveness, yet God gives it to us freely. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to fix things in your life. He didn't wait for you or I to become perfect. He didn't wait for all of your suffering to go away and all your troubles and all your pain and the hurdles in your life. He didn't wait for you to get the best job or the worst job. He cared about our heart condition. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God comes running after us to bring us to him and asks us to do the same for the world we live in. Often, he comes running after us and we sit where we are and accept his love and forgiveness and stay where we are. A speaker I heard recently talked about how easy it is for us to look out the window and despise the people we don't know. We do this all the while enjoying the love and forgiveness of God. I don't know about you. I don't know if you are, but are you feeling swallowed up today? Maybe there's some things going on in your life and you aren't sure where to turn. You want, you need to come to your knees and cry out to God, not worry about what other people think, not worry about the people of God that are supposed to care what you think, and they do. The lie from the enemy is that they don't care. The lie from the enemy is that they're gonna look down on you because you were 14 when you became a Christian. The lie from the enemy is gonna be if you come down weeping in tears because of something that's going on in your life, everybody's gonna look, oh, look at that person. Look at what's going on with them. They can't hold it together. We're not meant to hold it together. And that's why we were created in community. We were created for community so that we can reach out and love and help shoulder the burden. Maybe that's what God laid on your heart now. Here in a minute after I pray, we're going to play and there'll be an opportunity that you can come for. And there'll be those of us up here that can pray with you. 
Maybe you want pray, prayer for the thing that you've been running from God for. The thing that you couldn't stop or the thing that you can't seem to start that you know God keeps you nudging at your heart to do. Maybe you're tired of running. Maybe you just need to stop and accept what God has called for you. The thing you're actually running from is God himself. We would ask that you come forward and give him your suffering and your submission and your life. Let's pray and you'll be able to come forward. Lord, we thank you so much for the love that you've so lavishly given to us. You've helped us to see that we're not perfect and the only way that we can be perfect is because of our relationship with your son. God, I would ask each one of us to give up the things that that we constantly hold on to the faulty earthly comforts of this life. Help us to cling to you, not worthless idols. God, give us the strength to follow you in the way that you've called us so that we can be the powerful army of God that you've called us to be, not for war in earthly terms, but spiritual war and saving those that need saved. And it's the name of your your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.